Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Janine B. and Bridget D. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Now, today is going to be a little bit of a different day because we have a special guest on, except we don't have a special guest on. This, this is really strange. Hey, I'm special. <laughs> yes. Not being special. Of course you are, Louis. <laughs> Hi, Jeffrey. <laughs> but uh, uh, Master Lama Rasaji isn't here yet, and we are not sure where he is, and we can't seem to reach out to him in a way that will instantly connect him. So we're just going to get going as if he were here. And uh, Louis D'Souza from the Money Show has decided he wanted to drop in. He wanted to to meet the Lama as well. So we'll just pretend that Louis is the Master Lama today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he could probably do that. I mean, you, you'd probably be very good at doing that. Do you want? Do you want to be the Lama today? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, okay. Well, then we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we'll change the uh, screen over here. We'll make you the star presenter over here. So I'll just slide you over there. Oh, now, you're the star presenter. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where uh, Master Lama Rasaji is. But um, let's talk about what uh, brought Louis over here in the first place because it's not very often we get one of the co-hosts saying, hey, I want to join you on the other show. I'm curious, mm-hmm. Louis, what what grabbed your attention? What made you say, yeah, I want to be a part of this one? Well, I don't know if I've ever told you, but I did Tai Chi for about three years, and I did Kung Fu for seven years. So um, I've worked a lot with Chi. You know, I've had four years of yoga. so um, And I could always do advanced yoga techniques even when I was a young boy um, at home. So I've always been playing with energy in one form or another, and uh, I've got some funny stories to tell. So when I when I was um, really getting into energy when I was a young student and all the rest of it, so like 20, 21, 22, um, I went on an energy course, and they, they were saying to me, oh, um, you're going to know everything about energy by the end of the weekend. And I said, okay, that sounds exciting because I don't understand anything about energy. I don't even know it exists. (laughs) So I finished the course um, of spiritual healing. Um, The guy who ran it, Yonder Priest, he's very good, very well known. He's a hunchback and he's so full of life. You know, the guy's brilliant. But by the end of it, I felt very disappointed because I I knew nothing about energy. And I was still totally confused of what this whole energy thing is. And then I started doing uh, Tai Chi... And then I started doing Kung Fu, and then I started getting an idea of what energy is, but only really started understanding energy just before Jin Shinjutsu, which you've heard about. Uh, imagine Janine, if you've been listening to me a lot, you, you know all about Jin Shinjutsu, um, the healing art I do. So um, what, what I did is there, there was a book called Donna Eden, um, and, and I just have to point out how frustrated I was that I that I didn't learn about energy on this course. And there's a lot of courses like that. Like you can become a guru or a master in, in Reiki over a weekend. Um, and I just really felt frustrated that anybody could become a master over a weekend. <laughs> the idea seemed very preposterous. I imagine some people are ready for it, but um, uh, it's not something I think that People are going to normally become masters in a weekend. Um, I've spent 20 years almost with Jinshin Jitsu, and I still feel like a beginner with this energy technique. Um, so uh, what I did with Don Eden, there was a little hold. Now, I've had a wart on my foot for two years, and I've mentioned the story before in the Jinshin Jitsu story. But Don Eden, I don't know if you ever heard of her. She's an American lady, I think it was... She's um, she came, come, she used to come to London um, to the Mind, Body, and Spirit Festival. Uh, somebody gave me a book on hers because somebody else recommended her. So it's a tiny little 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 booklet, and all it said there is, you know, hold this for this, hold that for that. And it was a nurse's book, so it was a short little book that nurses can do to help other people in a in a nursing home or hospital, etc. Um, we love you too, Jeff. Um, so. I had warts on my foot for two years, and I had one cut out by a doctor, and it just grew straight back. And I was sitting there with these warts, and I was very frustrated because, you know, one, I was kind of like walking on every day, all day. It was really getting to me. 
and it was for a long time that I'd had them. So I looked at this little booklet and it says, hold two points on your feet. And so I did that for 15 minutes every day for a week and they vanished. It's pretty cool is what that I is. I was just blown away. I was like, this is my first experience of energy and energy work. And it just blew me away. So I went uh, on. I'm, I'm going to interrupt there because I have a little information here. I uh, finally heard from Master Lama Razaji. And uh, after all of the emails and so forth telling him we're starting at 4 p.m., he got uh, the idea that we're starting at 5 p.m which doesn't work too well. <laughs> so I'm in negotiation right now, trying to figure out uh, you know, when can we have them back and so forth. Apparently, you know, somebody who is a master llama truly has achieved timelessness because completely lost track of what the actual time zone is. So just say, um, so more to come, but uh, I just wanted to inform everybody about what's going on and uh, get back to Louie telling his story. So yeah, the reason why I'd love to have chatted to, to, the Lama, um, what was his name again? Master Lama Rasaji. Rasaji. So I'd love to have spoken to him about my experiences with this and what he feels um, this is all about, etc. Um, it was really interesting because I went after, you know, having that great experience to a one day, and the one day was all about self-help, so teaching me to do it on myself. So. I was so excited and I got so many results just from the one day. I moved straight into a five day and then I did three five days and then I'm qualified and then I did a lot more three days uh, and other things. So I've been doing it for about 20 years. I've been studying um, healing and uh, you can't really ha- call it healing because Jinshin Jitsu doesn't use the word healing. It uses the word kind of harmonizing and balancing. So you're looking at more harmonizing and balancing. And um, I've had so many experiences now that there is no question in my mind about working with the inner energy or the source energy of who you are to help with your health, etc. So, um, as I've often said to Walt, I feel like I'm cheating when I, uh, because I've got so many more abilities than everybody else that I can get rid of headaches and colds and flus and shorten things and not get things and um, take away stresses and strains in the body particularly easily. So it's, it's fantastic. I mean, when you have that kind of confidence, you know, if somebody said to me, you know, I'm worried about getting coronavirus, I say, well, I'm dying to get it. I can't get it. I've tried, <laughs> done everything I can, but I can't get it because I've got the tools to deal with it. I've, I've got the confidence, the tools, the power um, to deal with anything that comes my way. So. You know, I'd love people to get to that similar stage, but it's taken me years and years and years and years and years to get. Um, that's a comment you do. That's coming. Confident and all the rest of it. But, that's a know. comment you don't hear every day. I'm looking to get sick, especially with the COVID. I mean, I, we've been dealing with the COVID thing now for about a year and a half. I don't think I've heard anyone ever say that one before. So oh, this is husband. a How it many times back? have I said to you, Walt, I love being sick. <laughs> my husband wants to get sick. He thinks if, if, if he's better off if he does get it, and then it'll boost his immunity. Well, but he he wants to get it. I'm like, okay, just keep me out of that because I don't. That, want that's that. fine. I I understand his concept <laughs> completely because if you get the, the virus. You've, you, they, they say your, your antibodies are better than the vaccine. Now, I love the concept. I think the idea is perfect. I think it's sound. I think it's accurate. Um, but that's not the reason I'm doing it. A lot of people might be thinking that way. The reason I'm doing it is because I know I'll be able to deal with it and easily. Or I don't. And I've got no problem with either of those scenarios. And By the way, I, I have some more information about uh, uh, Master Lama Rasaji. He's actually going to be jumping on in a few minutes. So despite okay. the uh, oh, confusion, he is going to be on. I can't tell you exactly when it's going to be. But uh, meanwhile, we'll just keep doing the Louis thing. So take it away, Louis. Um, so, you know, uh, I had another experience, you know, when I was very young in the 20s again. I had a lot of my experience in great school. But I had collected a whole bunch of crystals. You know, when you go to all these places and you collect crystals and every crystals healing and all the rest of them, they're supposed to be so powerful. And I was getting really annoyed because I've tried everything with these, you know, sat them for hours, hold them, meditated with them, put them on my body. Nothing happened. I couldn't feel nada. So I took every single one of my crystals that I'd purchased over a couple of years, put them under my pillow, and uh, 
I had such vivid dreams with such colors that I got so scared. I went and took all, all, all those crystals which were under my pillow and I dug a hole in the garden and I put them in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened to your dreams really, with, with the crystals? I mean, did, what happened were they more vivid? Incredible, incredible clarity and color. Colors I haven't even seen in this world again before or again ever. Um, just absolutely vivid. Just imagine going into a world and everything was colored to a thousand times bright. Yeah. I don't know if you've even, if you've had out of body mm. experiences, you, you will start understanding what, um, what that's kind of like. You know, you, you get to see more colors and you get to see them very bright. Okay. Uh, okay. Some of them sometimes. Um, I'm going to try that with and, my crystals. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like it'd be uncomfortable, you know, like all those rocks underneath your head. Um, I'm such a princess in the pee when I sleep. It's like, you know, I can, I can feel like I'm like, I'd be all night just like, I love it. I'll be seeing yeah. colors because my head will be hurting. It's like, ah. I, I can appreciate that actually because not so much the crystals, but I, I once tried one of these pillow speakers to see if I could do something with subliminals. And all it did was keep me awake and give me a headache. So I threw that one. I, I didn't bury it, but I threw it in the trash. It amounts to the same mm-hmm. thing in a sense. Because I, I mean, I just couldn't sleep with all that. It was just too much racket. So I can't imagine what it must be like with all that color. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> Now, over the next 20 years, I've collected a very nice selection of semi-precious stones, huge amethyst, um, a beautiful desert rose, and um, malachite. I can talk to you about many, many different stories, but I've had the energy and chi and all the rest of it. So, you know, I, I was really excited to have a chat with uh, Master Lama. Well, you're about to have your chance because he is now logging in. Cool. So we can bring him in here. There he is. Hello. Hello, Hello. guys. How are you? Good. How are you doing? We made it. We got you here. This is great. I'm going to bring you up on the main screen. Hello there, sir. How are you today? I'm fine. How about you guys? How are y'all doing? Good. Good. We're we're flying high right now. We're having a great time. We we, we were trying to, since you weren't here, we were trying to do our own um, uh, master type of routine here. But we're glad that you're here because it's good to have an actual, you know, Verified, certified master, so that really helps a lot. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure my wife and mom would call me a certified something. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was intrigued, too, by um, the promotional material that your uh, assistant sent out, uh, that there are, there's only a handful of master llamas in the world. And I wonder if you could just talk about that for a moment, because that's... Sure. That makes you one of a few. Our order, as we go back, unbroken lineage. It's uh, a little over 3,000 years old. Um, It was established by a great yoga master that trekked from India into China. And it's easy to do some research. His name was Boganathar. He was a master of three disciplines, uh, Hatha Yoga, uh, pranayama yoga and kundalini yoga and he spent a good amount of his time in india master in that but he was starting to have visions uh about health and he looked around him and most of the people at that time in that age were not really concerned about keeping their body around for any period of time so he started having visions and he asked some wandering sadhus, some wandering monks, what he thought their vision was. And they said, sound like mainland China. So he trekked to mainland China and spent five decades with his yoga out in nature and basically perfected the art and ended up serving under the emperor for about 25 years hmm. and uh, teaching the emperor who was had a neuromuscular disease and Tai Chi Gung is known to have a lot of positive impact on a lot of maladies, but especially neuromuscular diseases. And so he then trekked up from Nepal into uh, Southern Tibet, found him a place, supposedly meditated for about a hundred years. And then after that decided, I'm going to find 12 people and teach them what I know. And that 12 later became 36. So there's 36 active llamas in our order at any given time. 24 of them 
are usually responsible for the teaching and training of one country, and the 12 are two or more countries. And so uh, that's kind of who we are, and uh, we kind of been, most of the time people don't even know that we're around, except they might sit next to us, and of course, most of them don't have a southern accent. And uh, <laughs> outside of feeling a little warm and fuzzy and their energy taking off like a rocket, they might not know any difference that something's going on. And I'm intrigued I'm in by the 100 years. I mean, I'm trying to imagine 100 years of meditation. I, I mean, after an hour, I'm, I'm antsy. So like 100 <laughs> years? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you know. By the time he got there, he had been conditioning himself. And when you add all the time in India plus China and then the time of teaching, um, he was a very, he was a very old soul. They say they, most of the Lamas figured that he was somewhere between 250 and 325 when one day he decided to go down the mountain and he just disappeared and never came back. Nobody wow. ever actually saw him die or anything. He just disappeared one day and that, that was it. Very cool. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to ask you, how did you end up in this circle? Um, that's a really interesting story. I was born very sickly uh, out of rural Nashville, Tennessee, a Northern city called Madison, Tennessee, which is right between Nashville and the Kentucky-Tennessee border, south of the Blue Ridge. And I spent the first 10 years of my life in Tennessee, and I battled uh, respiratory and kidney illness. And my father transferred the family in 1966 to northern Florida, which is where I reside now. And uh, I ended up with major kidney surgery. In that kidney surgery, my body function stopped twice, and I had an out-of-body experience that changed everything. And that surgery lasted about four and a half hours. I'm not sure how long I was out. I was only 12 years old at the time. But I was to meet my Lama master and spirit that later, six to seven years in New York City, I would meet him in physical form, and that would basically start that whole chain reaction <laughs> from age 12 on. Wow. So well, yes, yeah, I, it was uh, amazing. Uh, for many years, I was having a lot of out of the body experiences. I didn't know that it was any different. I thought all the kids were having it right at the time. <laughs> I would make a mistake every now and then and maybe be dating a girl and I would open my mouth and find out really fast that not everybody was having these experiences. And I went from one extreme to the other, sometimes from being called the devil to be calling Jesus. So it was like, <laughs> it was, wasn't much in between. But uh, when I got to New York in 1975, which was right after graduation, uh, I had already begun to train not only in the martial arts, but I had trained in dance also. And uh, an off-Broadway show actually brought me to New York. And uh, one day, uh, there used to be this vigilante group in New York called the uh, Guardian Angels. And uh, they were kind of this vigilante group that would support New York's finest. They walked around with walkie-talkies T-shirts, and they had a little black bandana, kind of like a French cascade, right? Mm -hmm. And if they saw something going on and there wasn't police present, they would get on the walkie-talkie and call directly to New York's finest. My sparring partner, I was training in Kung Fu in Chinatown during the weekends when I wasn't in a show, and we were doing a Chinese form of Tai Chi at the time. And one day my sparring partner said, hey, you know what? There's this Tai Chi Gun Lama in Washington Square in Soho. Hmm. And, of course, I knew what Tai Chi was, but I didn't have a clue what Tai Chi Gun was. And I said, ah, let's go check it out. So he said, he's going to be there Saturday morning. So we went Saturday morning, and I found out only the real serious students would get up 9, 30, 10 o'clock Saturday morning and go Washington Square. So I walked up to him, and as I walked up to him, I was 
it really puzzled me. It kind of bothered me, the, the sight, because he was sitting down with his back to me, and there were five or six students to the right, five or six to the left, and they were just, their jaw was open. I mean, they were hanging on every word, almost as if they were hypnotized. And my rational mind kicked in, you know, my masculine macho mind said, um, maybe because I'm seeing these pigeons around him and squirrels around him probably has some seed in his hands and they're feeding him. So when I walked around to the front of him, boy, that picture bothered me even more because he had no physical source of food in his hands. And to me, the the feeling that I got was this was like an Asian St. Francis, you know. I mean, I walked up to this guy. He comes up to me. He doesn't shake my hand. He grabs the inside of my forearm, and he just pulls me toward him. And he looks at me right in the eye. He's about five foot tall, probably about 130 pounds soaking wet. And he goes, Rasaji, what took you so long? Well, <laughs> Part of me went like, whoa, what are you calling me? And then deep down in my soul, it was like, hey, I've heard that name before. Where did that come from? So this was 1975. That was my physical meeting of him. Mm-hmm. About six months later, I had not connected the dots yet to surgery. And we were practicing our slow-moving Tai Chi dance. And we were in the process of... um making a 180-degree turn. And in our form, we do 380-degree turns. And I started to turn. And when I looked at him, it wasn't New York 1975. He was in some beautiful Asian garment like you would see in royalty situation. And the scenery behind him was not New York City. I could see pagodas and all kind of Things And the next thing I knew, I was kind of falling faint. And a couple of the students grabbed me and let me ease down. And I was still semi-conscious and I could hear them talking to the Master Lama. And they said, Bo Yang, what's wrong with Risaji? He goes, oh, he's awakening and remembering who he is and what he came to do. And about that moment, I had for the first time ever in my life, not a bi-location experience, but a tri-location experience. I was in three separate places. And what made this very interesting, there were physical witnesses at all three locations who all testified the day, oh, no, Rasaji wasn't in New York. He was in St. Simons, Georgia at that time. <laughs> no, wow. he wasn't in St. Simons, Georgia. He was in Darchin, Tibet, in the Lamasery. Well, I wasn't to go to the Lamasery physically till about three years later. But undoubtedly, there was enough of me or enough a part of me. Probably the most significant part was I had a Cherokee Indian friend who was this great healer who lived in St. Simons, Georgia, and he was doing a vision quest that same weekend. And he says, he sees me walking down the beach, and he goes, Rasaji, I was just talking about you. I thought you were in New York. And I looked at him, and I said, I thought I was too. (laughs) And he comes up to me and he reaches out and he grabs me. And remember the 70s, the Polaroid, right? You open the mouth and, well, he had a guy take a Polaroid. And to this day, on his credenza, in his bedroom, in his vanity, he has a Polaroid photo that enough of me obviously showed up to register in a Polaroid film. Hmm. And to this day, he says, this is the miracle that shows you the power of spirit. Right? So so what do you actually see on that Polaroid film? You see him and me. It's kind of like shady. It looks a little bit like almost a double exposure, almost okay. even a triple exposure. But you, anybody that's seen me before can recognize, you know, this is me. This is me. <laughs> and definitely was my buddy Jimmy, the Cherokee. He was 
and he, he's a huge man. He was a bodybuilder and everything, and he's a beautiful soul. But uh, him and me, we talked about that photo for many, 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 many years. And it was three years later that I actually physically showed up in Tibet and spent three and a half mm. years in Tibet. And at the end of that first year, one day the Master Lama comes to me and he says, I want you to go on a little journey with me. So we packed up some foods and put sacks on our back. And we walked up about another 1,500 elevation. The Lama series about 7,500. So we walked up to about 9,000 feet. I saw this little mud hut on the corner of a mountain. And the, and, and part of the outside part made you think of some old, like Indian teepee almost. It was leather hide and everything. So we kind of opened the flap back. You could see it had a, what looked like somebody in rural America, 1930s or forties wood burning stove that was kind of really not in good shape, hmm. but obviously it worked. I saw some wood piled over in one corner. I saw jerkies hanging from that had been hanging there, drying out different roots, ginseng roots, and there were herbal teas and things to make staples for soup. And he looked at me and he says, I'm going to go get some more wood and I'll be back. And I said, really? I looked over in the corner and I could tell there was enough wood there for at least a couple of weeks. Right. And I think, okay, you know, he's gone. He came back with that wood, just like he said he would, 46 days later. Wow. Without wow. warning me. Now, I was up on the mountain, 19 going on 20, no cell phone, no Wi-Fi. My dad thought the pronunciation of Tibet was Tibet. He had <laughs> no idea where in the world his country bumpkin son was. And here I was. About 10 days doing about four or five hours of meditation, an hour or two of Tai Chi, an hour or two of yoga. I'm sitting there wondering, you know, I said, I'm going to die on this mountain. My dad can't even pronounce the country right. My mom has no idea where I'm at, and I probably should be listening to Willie Nelson. And, you know, what am I going to do? So about 15 days into it, I didn't care anymore. About 20 days into it, I really realized the fear of death was not the number one fear because I had long since overcome that between surgery and this time period. As a matter of fact, it was about the 20th day that I realized that my victim state of consciousness, even when I was real young, was really what had me to do with being ill that I really didn't want to be in this incarnation to start with. And that on top of that, um, that I was controlling my whole destiny and I turned that switch and about 25 to 30 days into this journey, I realized what the biggest fear really was. And the biggest fear with humans are actually living a fearless life. That was the biggest fear. And that's that's when everything changed. It was a huge switch that went on. 46 days, he comes up with the Cheshire smile that a lot of llamas have, you know, and he's got like three or four pieces of wood, right? (laughs) And he walks in. I said, how in the world can you even show up with that and still say fakes, right? So we're walking down the mountain, and it took the better part of the day to walk that 1500 feet and we're walking down the mountain and he looks at me and he says, what's bothering you? I said, how in the world am I supposed to share what's happened to me in the last four years? Cause this was the end of the first year in Tibet, but it was the end of four years of training. And I thought to myself, how in the world? I mean, you know, I'm only 20 years old. Who's going to listen to a 20-year-old, right? He (laughs) said, yeah, but 20-year-olds have not had the experiences that you've had. They'll listen. He said, what what is it you want me to tell you, Rasaji? I said, I'm looking at what the world does, and I'm looking at what we've been doing, and I just can't connect. He says, oh, you want to know how to get there fast. You still got part of that microwave mentality in you. <laughs> West told you, right? 
you know, push a button, pop a pill, yeah. that's the instant gratification, right? I said, well, probably so. And so he says, I thought 45 days on that hill, we would change that. And I said, well, you know, I am Gemini. So, you know, that. And what he told me, when y'all think about what has happened in our world in the last 12 to 18 months, you're going to go, oh, my God. He looks at me and he goes, this is 1980. And he looks at me and he goes, easy. Rasaji, look at what the world's doing and do the opposite. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I thought of that one and use that as a major reference point. I mean, even walking in the parks in Disney, you know, I'd see everybody go right. And I would hear the llama saying, go the other way. And I would go the other mm-hmm. way and I would get on all the rides, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. and half the time. And it, it was just one incident after another. But Lord knows, uh, he told me that, you know, when people are just having that cosmic turning point and they're spiritually just starting to wake up, that what they do is they need more contrast. See, the more unconscious yeah. we are, the greater the contrast. It's kind of like the cat litter box. You know, they have to have their nose rubbed in it, right? And 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 what more rubbing your nose in it than what outer authorities have done to us in the last 18 to 24 months, right? That's basically what's going on. I laugh about the great awakening because Lama Siri has been calling for the great awakening for 3000 years. <laughs> and I but get apparently they're out. patient. <laughs> <laughs> I get a kick out of when somebody like thinks it showed up like 12 months ago or something like that. I said, how long, Oh Lord. Right. And so we hit, according to the Lamasiri, in the 17th century, we hit the second gear of ascension. So every day we go outside and these like liquid light molecules are intensifying and hitting our planet and hitting our energy bodies, our auritic fields, right? And already driving us into what we call ascending mode. So if we can figure out a way to stay healthy and stay focused and balanced, ascension is a no-brainer right now because we're in second gear. Now, people talk about the golden age. Well, the golden age is several millenniums away, but what we learned a long time ago about Tai Chi Gung, I can wait around a couple thousand years and incarnate then, or I can bring the golden age to me. And that's what Boganathar uh, figured out. See, Boganathar and the famous Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu are one in the same being. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. How cool is that, right? Mm -hmm. So when this yoga, tall Indian, you know, imagine over six foot, very dark complected, been out in nature. He's got matted hair halfway down his back, stinks, hadn't had a real good bath in a while, right? <laughs> and then one day, the general of the emperor of the Middle Kingdom comes up to him and says, we've been hearing about this holy man, you know, from the West, and we wanted to come see for ourselves. And so he described what was going on with the emperor, and he said, you know, the herbal doctors give him about five or six years to live. And he says, we would really love that you would go give a blessing. So they took him to the palace. And, of course, they bathed him for a long time. Then they trimmed him, put his hair in a ponytail. And over a couple decades, being inside now more than outside, his skin pigmentation started to change. Emperor Chen actually named him Lao Tzu. And they said most of the time you'd come in a palace and there would be this unbelievable sage. And what would you see him doing? Sweeping, sweeping up. And he would come by and people say, oh, man, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just here to sweep up, clean up, which is so profound because that's exactly why he was here. But, you know, he spent five decades in nature and he learned to take his yoga to whole different extremes. See, what he figured out is 
you know, when you're in a posture in physical yoga, like Hatha yoga, they call asana, that does one thing to the energy. But what he realized was the transference of weight from one leg to another and breathing in a way that was conducive to spirit and nature totally did something else different to spirit and to the energy. And as a matter of fact, he went a step further. He said, if I'm in the forest for 10 years, then I'm merging with the, the energy of these hundreds of years old trees, right? So I'm learning to root like they are. But if I'm by the Yancey River for a decade, and I'm learning to move like the Yancey River, then I'm experiencing a whole different level of chi. And if I'm up in the mountains, I'm experiencing a whole different. So he learned that you could tap all these different levels of chi that made up the basic elements of nature, which also make up our physical body. And if we could learn to harmonize with that, then longevity was kind of like a no-brainer. And that's what he did. This is amazing stuff that we're talking about here. We've got a couple questions from the people to live stream. Let me bring a couple of them here. First of all, Jeffrey, who's one of our regular listeners, uh, when you were talking about your story of, uh, of being in three places and all that kind of stuff, he said, totally relate. And he also asked a question. He says, do you have advice for others who have had similar experiences, being on a mountaintop, sitting and dancing with masters, et cetera? Well, yes. I mean, you know, the, 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 the most probably important thing, Jeffrey, is understanding and learning grounding and how to be centered right now. Because when you examine the way the body is in relation to nature, but also the age we're in, we're in the age of energy, movement, and communication. So think what they were trying to do. They were trying to keep us from communicating. They were trying to keep us from moving. And then they were trying to keep us from accessing energy. That's that's the pillars of this age, right? So ascension, if I, if I go to an acupuncture physician today and I say, what happens in the physical body as the sun rises in the morning? He said, well, it'll start at the coccyx at the tailbone. It'll work its way up the spinal column. And by noonday sun, it's somewhere in the brain. But what happens about one to three o'clock in the afternoon? He says, oh, you shift from solar yang chi to lunar yin chi. And now the energy is supposed to come down through the nose, through the shot here. Well, the sending energy is constantly sending us up like the yang energy is 24-7, and we know that's not a balance. So what we need to work on is what we refer to as waterfall chi or what's called the conceptional vessels by acupuncture physician. So is the circle of life, which is what we call our channel, or our website, right? And also the title of my first book is when you're born and conceived in your mother's womb, the process is, is that that first major meridian vessel, it's what's forming. That light and energy is actually forming out of the governor and conceptional vessel. That forms the fetus itself. That is the energy and light, right? So if I'm just honoring that, Jeffrey, oh my gosh, I'm altering my health. I'm altering my connection to spirit. We call Shakti in Sanskrit or to my sharat, which is my soul, right? And by doing that, I'm creating balance. And by creating that balance, I'm able to uh, connect with all that is. Good question. And he also followed up by saying, yes, I spent last week sitting with waterfalls. <laughs> then you know what I'm talking about. It's so powerful. You could You can YouTube a waterfall, and I don't care who you are. You sit in front of a waterfall with some music, you automatically feel relaxed, just like when we walk by water, right? We're 70 to 75% water, and the earth is also, and that's not by accident. That's by purpose. 
Very cool. All right, Joe B's got a question. It's in uh, three parts here, but I'll throw them up one at a time. He says, I know this question is a bit early, but as a kid, I can't explain why, but I would lay in bed at night and worry about death. So much so, I would go to my mom and talk to her about these thoughts. He says, I seem to not be able to shake the fear again. Any advice? And he follows up by saying, or how do you defeat that, defeat that fear of death? It's a profound question, Joe. And yes, there is to your answer. The short answer is absolutely right. So within us, there is a lot of things going on, but there is a collective consciousness that kind of forms in our DNA. And within most of everybody, there is actually a year when you plan on checking out of this physical body. People are shocked when they find that that year. I always tell people, Spend 40, 45 days as you go in and out of sleep, because that's when we're going conscious and unconscious, and just ask your inner being, what is the number that I chose that I came here that that's going to be the number I leave? And then once you know what it is, you have the power to change it. You have the power to agree with it or disagree with it, right? So here's the thing. There's two other things going on here. There's this concept called death urge. And there's this concept called birth trauma. And death urge basically is willed it this way. Death urge is like when something's not going right in our life, there's a switch that says, I'm going to sabotage it. I'm out like finishing something. And you know what? This relationship's going bad. This investment's going bad. This business deal's going bad. So I'm going to take care of that. Or people sit around and go, Life is too good right now. Something bad about to happen. That is all driven by a collective consciousness that is formed about people who believe, number one, you have nothing to say about death and when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen, which is totally ludicrous. You have absolutely say about all three of those. Birth drama comes from what happens going from a water baby to an air baby. And with some people, that's more traumatic than others. Some are breached. Some have the cord wrapped around them. Think about it. You know, years ago, our parents, you know, they were they were automatically midwives, right? Because people were having babies at home and the neighbors and the grandparents down the road would deliver most of the babies, right? You know, that in itself had a lot to do with longevity. But look at the other generation from the 50s, 60s to now, right? So you're in this warm incubation period. It's a nice, warm and cozy. I'm around this flotation tank and I'm doing my little yoga cross-legged as I'm around the cord. Mommy's loving me. Daddy's loving me. They're playing nice music, maybe a little Mozart on the side. And all of a sudden, you're going to make me go through this little bit <laughs> now and imagine what that's going to do to my muscles and my skeleton system, first of all. Imagine what that's going to record. And then on top of that, you're going to make me go from 98.6 to about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Imagine what that's going to do as I start to take my first breath. And on top of that, let's throw in a little bit. I got some fluid in my lungs. Now, that's birth trauma. And birth trauma, how it shows up in later years is what the psychology is called, the the inability to engage, the inability to move forward, you know? You don't think that a lot of 30-year-olds that are living home in their mommy and daddy's basements today, you don't think they don't have some birth trauma issues going on right now? You don't think the person who signed up for a business today and he's paying a business mentor to help him and he can't do anything that he's agreeing with the mentor that he needs to do. You think birth trauma just might have a little bit to do with him getting out of that gate. Or imagine a mother that not only had one epidural during delivery, but maybe she had to have two. And not only that, not only is the child then psychosomatically really hit with some serious birth traumas, but there's a good chance that that child being born borderline addict to start with also. 
which is a whole different issue, right? Mm. Now, to answer your question, there's only one way to get rid of both of these. You're going to love this profound answer. You outlive it. (laughs) But I'll give you tools. You can come to our site for free and learn these tools. Birth trauma, we know, started in water elements. So water and breathing being the issue is how long-term you get out of this. You learn not only to breathe oxygen, but to breathe energy and strengthen your energy body. You're going to have such profound experience that birth trauma is going to release its hold on you. Death urge is basically tampered by getting a pair of prayer beads replacing other people's thinking with the thinking you want to do and spending time with the element of fire because the element of fire in the far East is referred to as the mouth of God and it will reciprocate and burn negativity out of your aura and it'll burn it out of your body. I have seen people spend enough time with fire and prayer that completely negative thinking goes away. If you want to know what is the root of most of negative thinking, it's that death is inevitable and you have nothing to say about it. And yet I can give you, we have produced more people living over a hundred years old in our Lamasery than any 50 mile radius on the planet. When, when in the 15th century, Longevity for a male was about 36 years old, and for a woman, it was 42. We were producing llamas in the llamasary living over 100. Now, this might shock you. We've produced more humans on the planet that have lived two centuries. Mm. And a couple of them are actually recorded in my first book that if you join our email list, you can read for free. Joe B followed up. I want to uh, throw his stuff on screen here. He says, I moved on from the worry of death until a diagnosis. I'm healthy and fine, but everyone says it's gone. Be happy. You're still alive. But it brought back that fear. And then he followed up. uh, He was uh, really relating to what you were talking about. So he said, exactly. And that diagnosis made me feel so not in control anymore and realized my mortality, so to speak. And now I worry I could be hit with something like that again. Well, watch this. For every claim that somebody can make in nature about mortality, I can make five or ten statements about immortality in nature. Let's look, let's look at the earth and everything that's involved in the earth, right? So when I was in the east, I mean, I thought California Sokoas were old, right? I mean, you know, they can live 700, 1200 years old, but banyan trees, I mean, they don't even get healthy until about 1500 years, right? <laughs> And I meditated on a banyard tree where the trunk was so big. It was the size of the tree that they said that the Buddha received enlightenment. And I put my spine on the tree and I realized Buddha didn't have to be so smart. If you park your spine for a couple of hours to the back of a tree that's 2000 plus years old and you don't have spiritual enlightenment, you got a real problem going on. Because if you understand the magic of the androgynous of a tree to live 2,000, 3,000 years old. I got behind one tree almost 3,000 years old. And I stretched my body and the trunk was so fat and so large, you could put a VW Volkswagen behind it and it would disappear. Mm. Now, let me tell you, what do you think the vital chi level of a tree like that is? Well, if you want to test it, any tree you can find that's at least one millennium old will do the trick. Oak tree, pine tree. I did a 1100, I did a retreat up in uh, Quebec a couple of years ago on Bowman Island. And as we were going across the ferry, you could see you know, the Rockies in Canada, beautiful going across the water. We went to this island. And on this island, on the way to this camp where I was going to work with about 30 individuals, they had 1,100-year-old redwood. And they called her Oga, 
that are named just kind of carved <laughs> in there. And they said, we're going to check in. I said, tell everybody the llama will be there in a little while. I'm going to visit with Ogre here, and I'll be there, right? So finally, about an hour and a half later, they were worried what happened to me, and they came back to find me, and I was glued to that tree, and she was teaching me. See, recorded in the DNA of nature are hidden health secrets and longevity that man has forgotten that she hasn't forgotten that's what i'll tell wow okay um now louis de souza is uh, normally a, a monday co-host both uh, janine and bridge are my regular tuesday co-hosts but louis wanted to jump on especially today because he was really intrigued by what you had to talk about and louis i'm, I'm going to just kind of flag you right now was there something particular you wanted to bring up uh, with the mass Lama? um there's so many things that's uh We'd need a, we need a whole new session for that. Um, <laughs> well, you we don't have a whole new session. Come back a second time. I thought I was done for sure when I opened my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to give you a little history, I've done Tai Chi, yoga, Qigong, um, Kung Fu for seven years. Uh, Wonderful. Energy, uh, I've studied many, many different things, including law of attraction. Um, so, you know, there, there's so many things I'd like to ask you. One of the things is just how would you define chi, um, specifically in working with it and using it? Working with it. And what was that last part? Using it. Oh, using it. Well, I mean, there are many frequencies of chi's, just like there's many energy frequencies. I mean, you have to understand there's 12 dimensions. There's 12 chakras. Seven occupying the body. Nothing really seriously changes until we activate the eighth chakra, which once we activate the eighth chakra, your buddy Jeffrey with his question, he'll get pretty excited because once you activate the eighth chakra, the quality of chi that you have in it. Now, most acupuncture physicians would say that there's three basic chis in the body. They call them the Dunchins. There's one at the root of the navel. There's one in the heart center. And of course, in the third eye. But those are really primarily dormant until we go through a complete Kundalini experience. One of the most basic things that Tai Chi Gung was given to humanity was to help people go through what Master Rabbi Jesus, that's how we refer to Jesus in the Lama Serum. Master Rabbi Jesus said you needed to be born of water and also born of fire. So what people don't understand, because of the age we're in, we're supposed to, when we hit puberty and the endocrine gland system, which is the counterpart of the chakras, when they kick in, we're supposed to automatically go into second birth. With me, it happened about three years later, about 15. Most people today, they're much older. Some people could almost be on their deathbed, but it's when somebody is truly seeking and they spend enough time with this breathing energy and moving energy, activating these three dormant cheeks. Now, what happens is on a healthy energy body, it's normally about seven foot from the sternum in all directions. And it's clear and it's beautiful with most people. But as people become emotionally and psychologically kind of messed up through life, those colors of the rainbow are not so easy to see the seven colors of the rainbow that you should be seeing. We're seeing browns and blacks in a kind of a smoky mountain kind of a mist. But as that gets cleansed through the things you can do and that body goes to the next degree, the energy body will expand to 12 feet in all direction from the sternum. And if you can see the energy and light moving through it, it looks like an atom. It's spinning in all directions. Now, the neat thing that happens is no longer do the meridians just lie now also dormant with that dormant chi. So I'm in Florida and I love Florida oranges. And if I go take an orange and peel back the pill, I'll notice a membrane, a white membrane, right? 
Well, those meridians now will penetrate from the body out to the outer part of the energy body. And now those membranes are also light energy and taking you to a whole different dimension of freedom. This is when we're fully awake. And at that time, some really nifty things start to happen. Wow. Um, you also mentioned something in there that I've wondered about for quite a long time, pretty much since I've been doing the podcast, which is about nine years now, because it keeps coming up periodically. And I ask guests, well, what is it? And they can't really tell me. You can tell me. What exactly is a Kundalini experience? A Kundalini experience is uh, usually one of the easiest ways to activate it is breathing energy, which is one of the most basic things I teach our students. And that is you have two nostrils referred to as the Inga and the Pagata. And you have a center source that runs through the body called the Sasuma. When the Inga and Pagala are activated, they do what scripture refers to as Jacob's Ladder, right? So the Tai Chi energy goes out of the body, the chakras, in a clockwise manner. The Wu Chi energy goes counterclockwise. If you see me doing this, you'll see the infinity sign. You'll see the eight, like so. So as they unwind through the chakras, they're doing this. And then what happens is the Susuma then merges with them, and we have what I refer to as the column of God. What happens is the light of God intensifies because now that soul has become fully awakened, and you go through that transformation. And I just described a minute ago in the energy body what that process is. Even though in Revelations, you know, a lot of a lot of Christians today, they read Revelations and they think it's the be-all and be-all of the future when it's actually just the introduction to what's supposed to happen. See, it talks about seven churches, seven candles, and seven angels that will stand at the gate and open up the gates to the churches or chakras, right? So as we know, the chakras, which if people are new following you, chakras to Sanskrit, it means will that turns or spins. But just like our bicycles, when we were growing up, we had spokes in our bicycles. Each one of your chakras have spokes referred to as nadas. And just in the seven chakras alone, you have over 72,000 of these nadas. When we're born, half the nadas are turned in and half the nadas are turned out. But as the kundalini or second birth experience matures, all the nadas start to turn out, which makes the will of the chakra be able to spin even more. The neat thing about the Tai Chi Gung exercises is first it strengthens the energy body. Then it begins to regulate the flow of the chakras. And then the exercises themselves milks out the nadas so that the kundalini experience should be as natural as people going through puberty. That's what we're trying to do with the system. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's, it's supposed to be that natural. And as we get more into the golden age or more people become enlightened like you guys, it happens because the ripple effect is happening and it's easier for people. So we're starting to see instead of people having puberty in their teens and then Kundalini activating in their fifties, that gap, what we've been noticing, the Lamasary last three, it's getting closer and closer together. That alone will tell us that we're bringing golden age faster into our, uh, physical sphere, if you will. Absolutely. Love fabulous. you guys. Uh, look forward to right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Lama. Thank you to all my co-hosts, and thank you to the podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.